0: Psalm 27, Psalm 28 today, as, uh, as we orient ourselves now through the Word, I wish so many times I go through a very strict process of the way I work through messages and plan for sermons. And uh, one of the last things that I do uh, when the message is done is, let me uh, see, the first thing that happens at the beginning of the week is me and Micah talk about the message. The message. He is a pastor and I am as a pastor. We talk about the Word. The Word informs both of our work for this upcoming week. Him as He pours over what we have just got through doing and me as what we are about to do. And, and so the worship service is the collision of these two works of love that we do for the glory of God. And so what I do at the end before I start, uh, before I come out here as as I'm going through the message one last time, I pull up the songs and I let them play over the sermon. As I preach it in my mind. And, And what a blending God has done today. And so as you stand to your feet in reverence to God's word, Psalms 28. This is a Psalm of David. I just want to give you permission today because it's, it's happening in me and it's happened in me and it's happened with me and my wife as we thought about this text. It's okay today to let the difficulty of your life, whether it's past, present, or future, come to the surface today. It's what David is doing in this psalm. It's okay. It's okay. This is what David is praying to you, O Lord, I call my rock. Do not be deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help. When I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary, do not drag me off with the wicked. "...with the workers of evil, who speak peace with their neighbor while evil is in their hearts. Give to them according to their work, according to their evil deeds. Give to them according to the works of their hands. Render them their due reward, because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the works of His hands." He will tear them down and build them up no more. Blessed be the Lord. For He has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In Him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exults. And with my song I give thanks to Him. The Lord is the strength of His people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. Oh, save your people. Bless your heritage. Be their shepherd. Carry them forever. This is God's word. God, as we hear from your word, Lord, we are those who have been through trouble. Who are going through times of trouble. And who will go through times of trouble. This is the cry. Of every follower of Jesus Christ. At some point in our life. Oh God today. Bring joy and thanksgiving. To the heart of the broken. For you are the God that saves. Comfort your people with your word today. In Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Very simple point in the message today. The Lord is the saving refuge for His people. Not a, going to be, not a new theme in the Psalms. Not one that we're not going to see again. But a very critical one students i didn't plan this exposition, God planned it we changed we changed real courage three times the date okay i 'm just preaching through what 's next, but what you 're going to see is we serve a God of the details of providence, and He has ended our weekend. Our students, if you're not familiar, have been going through real courage this weekend and here 's just going to read you what they 've been thinking about. Gospel centered courage is a resolve to live as a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ in the midst of difficulty with strength, daring and confidence. And so God didn't want us to miss anything, students, here with real courage. And so he's he's making sure that we understand what perseverance in prayer has to do with courage. And so turn with me. I want you to see a parable that Jesus taught that underlines this. Luke 18, verse 1. Luke 18, verse 1. And He told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city. They kept coming for... Coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For while he refused. But afterwards he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man. Yet because this widow keeps bothering me. I will give her justice. So that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Look at verse 6. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to His elect who cry to Him day and night? Will He delay long over them? I tell you, He will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on earth? We ended Psalms 27 asking the question David did as he has spent his time in personal prayer and even personal triumph and confidence in his God, turned to the people and said, Wait on the Lord. What does this waiting look like? Here's the reality David is facing. He's fighting for faith, he's living with real courage. The difficulty is still there the enemy is still attacking. They're not stopping. What are we going to do, God, while we're waiting? David said in Psalms 27, that one thing he longs to do is, is to dwell in the house of the Lord and to gaze on the beauty of God. And so... Can I ask you a question? Can I give you a thought today? What might be stopping from you experiencing the beauty of God? Last week, that might even been sort of mysterious to you. What does he mean by the beauty of God? What does it even mean to gaze upon his beauty? One thing that stops it is not persevering in Prayer. One of the most exhilarating aspects of the Christian life is to see when God answers your prayers. Could it be that you can't think of an answered prayer right now because you are living a busy, self-centered, missionless life? Because if we were selfless And if we took time to be on the mission of God, we would see God moving. And He would always be moving us to thanksgiving, to God. This is how we live for real courage. And this is how we must persevere in prayer. We live by faith. When we live, this is what waiting is. It's the anticipation to see what God is going to do. David is doing There's a confidence here. The collision of the confidence in Psalms 27. Working itself out again here in Psalms 28. The confidence in God's saving refuge. And it comes as we persevere in prayer. I just want us to see some things about prayer to start with. Look at verses 1 and 2. I want want us to remind ourselves this morning of what an extravagant privilege we've been given. That's why I said it's okay today to come into God's house, to let the hard and the difficulty and the pain and even the doubt and the honesty come to the surface. David does. It's the privilege of prayer. He's not turning his back on God, he's turning to God. Listen, Listen to this. To you, O Lord, I call, my rock. Be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent, I go down to the pit. This is urgent, <laughs> even desperate. It's also confident. Do you see the urgency, though? You need to understand this. To him, God hearing equals life. God not hearing equals death to him. He said, if you don't hear me, God, I'm going to die. The Bible oftentimes gives human qualities to God to help us understand. That's our benefit. He gives human qualities here, Psalms 27. Last week, don't hide your face. This week, don't turn a deaf ear. The silence of God in the midst of his suffering is about to kill him. So he's desperate. He's also confident. Look at verse 1. Who's he praying to? See it? My rock. Verse 8, my rock equals my saving refuge. You see, he's just not praying for refuge. He's praying to his refuge. There's a big difference. You see, if you're just wanting something from God this morning, you might not be wanting him. He's praying to his rock. Listen to this. Believer, turn with me to Hebrews four. Just want you to see this. It's why we must know our Old and New Testament, for they help us know our Jesus better. Hebrews four, verse fifteen. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Look at verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we might receive mercy and find grace and help in a time of need. Brothers and sisters, that's a privilege. It was bought for you, the blood of Christ. So what is our inward attitude as we pray? What's David's here. You see, it's, it's prayer. Look at verse 2. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry for help. You see, his prayer is based off need. The need for mercy. He's saying, God, extend your grace to me. You see, there's no entitlement here. There's, not a, there's no arrogance. He's not praying as if God owed him something. Here might be part of our problem in our prayer life. If our attitude is if, God, you owe me. I'm entitled to this. Child of God, save for the blood and finished work of Jesus Christ. God owed you nothing but hell and wrath. And He has shown you mercy. And we live with this attitude our whole life. I mean, mercy. God is no man's debtor. Not yours and not the worst heathen in the world. He owes man nothing. Psalmist says, remember, he's the anointed king. I need mercy to God. If you don't hear my prayers, I'm going to die. This is what we would call the Matthew 5 beatitude attitudes. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Psalms 34, 6. Psalms 34, 6. It says, The poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of his troubles. Verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who what? Fear him, and delivers them. Children of God, we must learn to read the Bible looking for the promises of God. For there's your help. He's saying to God. If you refuse to hear me. If you refuse to answer me God. I'm just like the godless who live and die with no hope. So he comes back to this. I need mercy. He's not saying I deserve to be answered. He's saying God. You are God that saves. Answer me. This leads to a posture, an outward posture. You see it? When I lift up my hands towards your most holy sanctuary, David's hands are lifted up towards the most holy place. This is where the mercy seat was. This is important for two reasons. This is where the presence of God dwelled. This is where the Ark of the Covenant was. And understand, this is also where once a year, the high priest would go in and make atonement for the sins of the people. These and both of these are on his mind and on his heart that determines his attitude inwardly and his posture outwardly as he faces the very presence of God where his sins must be atoned for so that he may enter into God's favor and receive mercy. Only through the blood could that happen. Turn with me to Luke 18 again. love the gospels just helps us understand the bible interprets itself luke 18 look at verse 10 two men went into the temple to pray one a pharisee the other a tax collector the pharisee standing by himself prayed thus god i thank you i'm not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Verse 13, But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The tax collector understood what the Pharisee didn't, that his sins must be atoned for, and he asked for mercy. So, what is your inward attitude and outward posture in your prayer life today? 1 John 2 2 reminds us that Jesus Christ is the propitiation for our sins. What does that mean? It means He is the wrath-removing substitute for you that made way for grace. And so God now is propitious towards you. He acts favorably towards you because of the work of Christ. Turn with me to Hebrews 9 again. Hebrews 9. I know Hebrews is a hard book for many people to understand, but I am telling you, It is worth the effort. Because it makes you go back to your Old Testament. I want you to see Hebrews 9. Look at verse 5. Because you see, this is what's in David's mind. This is what he's posturing towards. Describing the holy of holies. Above it were the cherubim of glory. Overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we can not now speak in detail. These preparations having thus... Been made, the priests go in regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties. But into the second, only the high priest goes. And he only once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. Verse 8. By this the Holy Spirit indicates that the way of the, to the holy place is not yet open as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for this present age. According to this arrangement of gifts and sacrifices are offered. Listen, they cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings and regulations and body imposed until the time of Reformation. This was the place where David said, This is where the presence of God is. This is where the sacrifices are made. This is his posture towards as he prays in his times of trouble. An old believer, there is verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come then through the greater and more perfect tent not made with hands that is not made not of this creation, He entered once for all into the holy place not by the means of blood of goats and calves but the means of His own blood thus securing an eternal redemption. This humbles the heart, and raises the hands. Many of you remember this hymn. This was the hymn that come to mind. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die, would He devote the sacred head for sinners such as I? Thy body slain sweet Jesus thine, and bathed in its own blood. While the firm mark of wrath divine, his soul, my, his soul in anguish stood. Was it for crimes that I had done, he groaned upon the tree. Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. Well might the sun in darkness hide and shut his glories in when Christ the mighty maker died for man the creature's sin. Thus might I hide my blushing face while His dear cross appears, dissolves my heart in thankfulness and melts my eyes with tears. But drops of grief can e'er repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do. At the cross, at the cross where my Savior died. Spurgeon said, we stretch our out empty hands, for we are beggars. We lift them, for we seek heavenly supply. We lift them towards the mercy seat of Jesus, for there our expectation dwells. Oh, that whenever we use devout gestures, we may, we may possess contrite hearts, and so speed well with God. So what's the prayer then? We see that it's a privilege. We see there's an inward attitude and outward posture then what is the prayer let's read verses three to five he says god don't drag me off with the wicked with the workers of evil who speak evil peace with their neighbors while evil's in their heart verse four here's his prayer verses four give to them according to their work according to the evil of their deeds Give to them according to the works of their hand. Render them their due reward. And I know many of us come to these texts and we going, what is, he, what is he praying for there? So let's try to understand some of what we've just got through talking about. I just want you to understand some things of what this is and what it's not. We see that this prayer first is not self-righteous. We've already seen that, haven't we? Inward attitude, outward posture. It's not self-righteous. David's rendering this prayer, this petition, on the basis of his need for mercy and on the basis of God's righteousness. It's not self-righteous. And listen, this is important. Prayer is not about the morbid pleasure to watch others suffer. And if it is in your prayer life, you have the wrong attitude. Ezekiel 33, this is an important text that I often have to remind myself of. God's character corrects our sinful tendencies even when those sinful tendencies seem to be justified. Ezekiel 33 verse 11, Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, and neither should we. So prayer is not about the morbid morbid pleasure of watching others suffer. That's not what God's justice is. You think it is, you don't understand it. But here's what's happening. It's the same thing that was happening in Psalm 27, happening in Psalms 28. And listen, believer, this will set you free today. If you will, by faith, just practice it. His prayer is surrendering oneself to the Lord to do what is right. It's what you're doing. That's what what He has to do. First, First Peter 1 Peter 1:17. That's what Peter's saying. If you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. We serve a God who will do what is right. Some of you have been carrying bitterness and vengeful spirits for years. Because of what someone else has done to you. Some of you, it is robbing your joy. It has robbed you of your gospel fruitfulness. And here today, will you surrender these things to the mercy seat of your Jesus and dare not carry it one more day? It's what He died for, He's the God. He's the one who can exercise holy vengeance. You cannot. So don't try to. It will kill you. He paid for your forgiveness. Why do you withhold it from others? He's being done unjustly. That is true. And we know many stories of David of what it could be. And you know many stories because many of you bear the scars of it. And so do we. And so do I. Here's what you need before we move off of this point. Surrender yourself to the Lord. Surrender your enemy to him. Let him do us right. That's what his prayer is. Listen, David knows just like the New Testament believers that Matthew 16 27 is true. You see, the Son of Man is going to come, he is. And when He comes with His angels in the glory of His Father, He will repay each person according to what He has done. That's exactly the prayer request in verse 4 of Psalms 28. Give to them according to their work, according to their evil deeds. Why is He praying this? Look at verse 5. Because they don't regard the works of the Lord. Do you understand That the person outside of Christ does more from the time he gets up till lunchtime to damn him for hell forever. You understand? He gets up in the morning just like you. Gives no thanks for the breath he takes. Does not give God the glory for his breakfast, nor the vehicle he gets in, not the job that he goes to, not the wife he kisses goodbye, nor the kids he's planning on seeing after school, not the people he works with, not the job he has, not the mind that God has given him, not the skills. He gives him thanks for none of that. Before lunchtime, he has sinned enough against his God. And worse than that, they attack God's people. So his prayer is, Lord they don't regard your works. They don't see it, God. they would, they wouldn't be attacking me. Isaiah 5:17 says this, But the Lord of hosts, that's armies, but the Lord of armies is exalted in justice. The holy God shows himself holy in righteousness. The righteous, you see, find comfort in God's works. They find comfort in God's righteousness. They find comfort in God's justice. So, pastor, am I supposed to pray for God to punish the wicked or not? I mean, that's what I would ask if I was sitting in your seat. So let's understand this last point very clearly. His prayer is for divine justice. It is. So what's he praying for? What he's praying for brothers and sisters, is for evil to not prosper and for God's righteousness to be vindicated. That's what he's praying for. That's divine justice. He's not to get, get somebody back to make you feel better. It's not what he's concerned about. He's concerned about the honor of God here. Look at verse 5. They don't regard the works of your hands. They're they scorn you, Lord. They're dishonoring you. You see, that's what he's been thinking about through his honest prayer. David wants God to prove that the ungodly can do what they're doing and succeed. He's not praying for final judgment for them. He's not. He's not telling God to damn them to hell. He's not. He's telling them to give them payment for what they've done. Or as we would say it, Teach them the crime doesn't pay. Teach them what they've done don't pay. Doesn't pay to hurt God's people. Lord, just may they reap what they sow. Pastors oftentimes try to figure out how much of the pain in their own life they share with the congregation, because you can share too much at at the wrong times. This is a very Raw time for our family because on Thanksgiving marks the anniversary to when we had to leave our children in the Congo and couldn't get them home. And we came home on Thanksgiving Day. It's just a painful week for us, but it's also a very grateful one. And I can still remember as we went through this journey and it began to turn south that, that our church, Parkwood, called us to the front and people gathered around us and prayed for us. And what did Pastor Jeff pray He prayed for divine justice for us. And I ask you to look around in the room and ask yourself, did God answer that prayer? He did. He brings justice, listen to me, in His own way, in His own time. But He never misses bringing it. Prayer. Look down at verse 9 now. I want to tie this into prayer. He's just not praying for himself like, like he oftentimes does. He, Though he puts it personal, he's praying about what he's going through. There's an actual event in his mind. He's laying before the God of justice to deal with. But then he turns at the end. And he says this in verse 9. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them Forever. If you look at Psalms 27 verse 14. He's doing a lot of personal stuff. And then all of a sudden in verse 14. It's like he's praying to God. And it's personal. And all of a sudden he turns to the people. And says wait for the Lord. He turns it towards the people at that point. Here he turns his prayer towards those people. The people of God. He says oh God save your people. I trust you're going to save me. Save them. Look at his prayer for him. He intercedes on behalf of them for saving. That God be their saving refuge. He says, bless your inheritance. Why does he say his inheritance? That's what they were. God's people. Israel in the old. Now his church in the new. Deuteronomy 4.20 says, But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace out of Egypt to be a people of his own inheritance as you are this day. This is the growth group's text for the day, and I'm not going to belabor it. I just don't want you to miss it today. On the day when there's a lot of difficulty, and there's a lot of things, and there are many times, though we are warriors, that we don't have any fight left in us. David felt that way, hence his prayer. God's people came to that point. Here's his prayer, be their shepherd. Look at this, it's important, this is precious. Carry them forever. You see, David knew a little something about being a shepherd. He knew a little something when when a sheep went down. when, When the young mother was about to give birth. Isaiah 40 verse 11. This is your God. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. I don't know how long it's been since you read John 17. But as a believer, I would read it regularly. Why? Why? Because Jesus is simply practicing in his prayer life what we read in Psalms 28. You see, in John 17 is a high priestly prayer that He begins to pray for himself for the first five verses. Then his prayer life turns, He turns to his disciples, those that were actively following him. And did you know this? That verses 20 to 26, he starts praying for you? And I don't know. Thought about it a thousand times, it's hit me today. That my Jesus is praying for me. He's praying for Stephen, praying for Jeff, praying for Tony. I just said to myself, is there any way God could have prayed a prayer that wouldn't have been in His God's will? Is there any way that God, Jesus is going to pray to prayer for you and it not be God's will to answer that prayer? Am I courageous enough to make Jesus' prayer my prayer? The Lord was his security. It was his saving refuge in times of intense injustice. And he gained confidence by the fact, that's why he persevered in prayer, that my God will do what is right. And I'm going to trust him. And here's what happened as a result. God, hit David's confidence in God saving refuge brings thanksgiving to him. He leaps. This is in reverse. Remember last week it was in reverse. He starts off in triumph at confidence and all of a sudden he changes to pleading. Here he starts in pleading and all of a sudden he erupts and praise. Blessed be the Lord for he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Children of God, here's how we wait expectantly. We wait in anticipation for God's righteousness. He will do what is right. I'm going to praise him. Notice the 3 things here. He has heard, I am helped, I will give thanks. You see it? Hearing really did bring life. I want you to see just two simple truths. We give thanks for what he will do. We give thanks for his future grace. By the way, good book, if you've never read it. Blessed be the Lord, verse six, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. You see what happens? When you surrender, when you abandon your fears and your enemy and your pain to the Lord. Understand, his situation hasn't changed. The enemy's not gone. Something's changed with him. Hearing has brought life. Life has brought blessing. You see all of this inside of we have been honest with God. We said God don't leave me. I feel like you've left me. I don't feel like you hear me. And in, in that we say but God you are righteous. You are just. You are my God. You're my covenant people. He said, well, he really can't leave me?" You see you need to preach the gospel to yourself. This is what meditation does in your life. I feel this way. Well, hold on a second. This is who God is. That's not true. God can't do that. God can't give you a promise and then not fulfill it. He, he, can't, he can't lie. He can't go back on His Word. He can't not defend His own honor. You see what we're doing? Letting inform in the Word. Letting inform this. Produces inside of Him confidence. Confidence comes out as Thanksgiving. The Lord is my strength and my shield. I heart trust, and I am helped. Just got through singing the song of Moses, Exodus fifteen two. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God. I will praise Him. My Father's God. I will exalt in Him. See, doesn't in the midst of this? Not that his situation has changed. The despair is gone. God hears, and David trusts equals help. God has hurt me. I trust him. I'm helped. Knowing this, knowing God, knowing what God has promised and who he is. Makes him leap for joy. Do you know, believer, that Christ's strength is your strength? Colossians 1.10. This is the basis of how we walk with him. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Listen to verse 11 being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. You see that? That's His power. It's His strength for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption. We come right back to the cross again. I want you to see this. Oh, I've prayed that this impacts you the way it has me. Turn with me to Hebrews 11.1. 1. I want you to see what's happening, and I'm going to try to illustrate it. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Has everybody got it? Still turning. I want us to read this together. Ready? Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. Faith, trusting, puts the future into the present tense. That's what's happened. Situation hasn't changed. You say, how does that happen? Hope. You understand? He's trusting in his God. Asking him for future grace. And as he's trusting in his God for future grace, God gives him in the present biblical hope. Faith puts the future into the present tense by giving us hope proof. As solid as the God we serve. This is what you have been given the power to bring to bear in the lives of other people. One of our growth groups went to hospice this week. The goal was to just be a blessing. Just to go over there and serve in a practical way. But when they got over there, been some kind of miscommunication and that thing wasn't there to do. And because our growth groups are multi-generational, we had from, I'm not going to call people old, I don't know what old is anymore, I'm, I guess I am. You know, old to young. Well, we all know what happens at hospice, don't we? People go there at the end of their life. A lot of pain, a lot of suffering happens there, a lot of wonderful people walk through it with them. And at that moment... The nurse just said, Would y'all come in here and sing to this person? This person's about to die. And my prayer for at least that growth group, if nothing else, that you would understand verse seven today. Because that is what you brought at that time of need. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trust, and I am helped. You understand? This is what you've been given the privilege to bring the gospel to bear into the lives of each other and into your own life. And when we bring that to bear in our times of trouble, what people are is helped. Not by you, but by the God you've just given them. That's what we do in the lives of each other, in our own lives. We give them the Lord give them the only strength and the only shield. You see? For a man that's dying and suffering, is longing to be with heaven, and though he knows he's going to leave his family, the gospel brings the future into the present with hope. It's the things hoped for. It's the proof of what I don't see, but that I know is coming. Persevere in prayer persevere in bringing the gospel to bear in each other's life we give thanks because he always takes care of his people david is the king that's what it says in verse 8 the lord is the strength of his people he is the saving refuge of his anointed two things there david is the anointed king he's saying i'm the king but the lord is my strength He's enabling me to endure. I am king, yes, of these people. I'm supposed to protect them. But the Lord is my protection. Either way, he turns around and prays the same thing for them. David is the anointed king of Israel, but Yahweh is his king. And listen, you cannot read anointed, the word anointed, in the Psalms and not understand this is pointing to somebody. It's pointing to your Jesus. You see, David knew the Davidic covenant. That there was coming the anointed king. Who would rule forever. Do you understand this? Romans 8.11 tells us. That the same God. That brought Jesus up from the grave. Lives in you. Lives in you. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Real courage to live with daring and confidence is possible. Why? Because God is in me and God walks with me and God is for me. And God is against the wicked. And He will do what is right. Am I actively showing and expressing my gratefulness for my union with Christ? So here's what I want us to do today. I want us to orient ourselves towards the cross through communion. There's no greater opportunity that God gives us of His church And to steal ourselves and prepare ourselves to come to His table. It is an exceedingly amazing privilege of the redeemed of His church. So I'm going to explain what we're going about to do, and then I'm going to pray. What we're about to do was instituted by the Lord Himself to remember his finished work at the cross. And so in a minute, what we are going to do as the praise team comes and our deacons get in place is allow you to actively express your gratefulness and worship to your God. I mean active by the fact that you are going to come to the table. And so what we are going to do is I have a time of confession. We're going to lead you in a time of confession and repentance. Repentance. Then I'm going to explain the bread, and then we're going to sing. And as we sing, I simply want you to come take the bread, go back to your seats, and as you worship, take the bread. And then I'm going to stop and explain the cup, and then we're going to sing, and I'm going to invite you, and we're going to come take the cup together. And so worship and remember our Lord. So let's pray. Lord, what a reminder. That though we may be even right now in the hardest times and places in our life. Many of us have scars that are very deep from the injustice that has been done to us. And you know those things, Lord. They didn't get by your gaze because you watch your people, because you love us. So, God, it is my prayer today that because of what we are about to remember that you will free those in this room from the pain of of things done wrong to them in the past by those who shouldn't have done it. That you would release people from bitterness and unforgiveness because of who you are Because of what your Son has done for us. So now, Lord, it is our prayer that as we move to this very reverent and very special time that you have ordained for us, that we would prepare ourselves to worship you through coming to the table together. Isaiah chapter 20, speaking about God's people, says, Then they shall be dismayed and ashamed because of Cush their hope, and Egypt their boast. And the inhabitants of this coastland will say in the day, Behold, this is what has happened to those in whom we hoped, to whom we fled for help to be delivered from the king of Assyria. And we... How will we escape? You see, just like Israel, we often put our hope in other things and other people other than Christ. We have one hope. We have one salvation. Jesus Christ our Lord. And So we heed the warning of Hebrews 2, 3 that says, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Romans 5 verse 19 says, For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness. Leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so now, before we come to the table, I call you to a time of confession and repentance for your sin. We can do this because Jesus died so that you might be forgiven, so that you might come to the table. So let us draw near to the throne of grace and find mercy for ourselves as we prepare ourselves to come to the table. Let's pray. Lord without your son I don't have the right to be praying to you right now I couldn't I wouldn't want to But because you are my saving refuge you've rescued me from myself the sin that I loved and now I hate Lord, would you forgive us? Forgive us for our attitudes one toward another. Forgive us, Lord, for those sins that we have held on for years instead of laying them at the cross and be set free. That is free, God. To enjoy you right now. To gaze at your beauty, beauty of one. Choose us and save us and adopt us. Thank you for forgiveness in Jesus Christ. That you've given your people now. In Jesus' name, Amen.